Hear the word of our Lord from Romans, the 11th chapter, beginning in the first verse. I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant, chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I felt like it was a necessary thing to bring up uh, kind of a part two to last week's uh, recording on spiritual child abuse. How the, the modern Christian church these days has fallen into this horrible trap this, this terrible trap of almost refusing to love the Christians who are in their parishes, in their congregations, here in the West anyway. I'm sure it's much better in other places out there. Maybe the Orthodox Church in Russia is really good about it. But, you know, more money being spent on missionaries than local people, more help for the poor outside of the church than the poor inside of the church, all sorts of messed up stuff going on. And we tried to pinpoint it to say, well, okay, first off, they've forgotten what agape love really is. Why? Because they let the world redefine it for them. And they, they missed the whole hierarchy of love part in the scripture. And then they forgot their identity as churches of Jesus Christ rather than businesses or public institutions. They forgot their priorities, and so the way the individual Christian is often treated in his own church is worse than, uh, than a pagan would be treated in that church. People who hate Jesus being loved more than people who worship Jesus and love him with all their hearts. But I realize that that's kind of sad. Not just sad, that is depressing news. Because it's everywhere. If you live in the United States or Canada, or if you live in Great Britain or France, well, first off, I'm sorry if you live out there in England or in the continent there, but it's just as bad out here in America and just as bad out in Canada, if not worse. Out here in the West, everybody's going through this. There has to be something encouraging in the midst of this, in the midst of 
the most discouraging circumstances you can imagine. So, is there? Is there encouragement we can find? Well, absolutely. And we're going to get, we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this Romans 11 passage here, but before we do, I got to ask you, in your heart, where is that encouragement? Because we understand that we can't find our encouragement in, say, the circumstances as they are on the ground. A lot of churches, people are just leaving them, and most of the time they just don't go back to church. Or they switch to a church that isn't exactly something you would have pointed them to, to go to. Somebody leaves their mega church, and you're like, yes, finally they can come to my good Lutheran church. And then suddenly out of nowhere they go to a Norvis Ordo Mass Catholic church with pink vestments and rainbow flags and everything, and you're like, oh, darn it, what are they doing? And even then, so we have the circumstances that are just awful. And a whole lot of churches that are very complicit with that, they have more love for the world than for Christ. Where is the encouragement? We know in, our, in the depths of our heart, there's something good, this, this can't go on. The American system, even politically and culturally speaking, we know this just can't keep going on. But we don't know what would possibly replace it, or, well, if anything other than collapse and violence would replace it. Or, in the church context, terrible heresy. The Munster Rebellion times a billion D. Where is the encouragement? Where's the good news? And, well, first off, we do understand the good news is in Christ. After all, it says in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live as God desires in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And why is that good news? It means that you're living in Christ. And if you're living in Jesus, well, is he alive or is he dead? He is alive. Our Lord is alive. And if I am alive in him, rejoicing in my baptism, then I understand that this isn't the end. There is an eternal life after these trials because Jesus died upon the cross for my sins. I am not counted as one of these people who is engaged in this satanic rebellion against the Lord. I am not part of the world around me which hates God and wishes to replace him. I'm not part of that. So I take comfort in knowing that, yes, there is going to be a day, we don't know when, when our Lord Jesus Christ is going to return to this earth. He's going to judge all of our enemies and consign them to hellfire. Well, we, those who love him, those who he brought us into his fold, into his flock, and we are saved, we enjoy eternal life eternal good things. God says at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we can take comfort in that, but that's kind of cold comfort, isn't it? Because that's that's when Christ comes back. And I don't know when that is. It's been 2,000 years, and I know that, yes, there is an eschatology, but but right now, what happens? And how long is this supposed to go on? So there is that it's kind of a distant comfort. Oh, one day this is going to get better, but what can, what can encourage me now? 
Aren't we so impatient? I, I, I confess, when I say we, I mean me too. <laughs> it is hard when you go out there and you see all these companies basically advocating for your people's extinction, advocating for unnatural sins and desires, greed being celebrated in the marketplace and in everywhere in culture, your kids being thoroughly propagandized, absolutely everything is just awful. And I want something comforting now. And you know, I have something for you. Let's turn back to our passage here in Romans 11. Now, somebody might hear this and they might go, wait, 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 super. Your context. What is the context of this chapter? And you're right. In context, St. Paul is writing here regarding the Jewish-Gentile divide. Because God has broken off branches. He broke off the unbelieving Jews from the tree that is Israel. And he grafted Gentiles into Israel. This is called supersessionism or replacement theology. But in Romans 11, he's, he's bringing himself into some encouragement here regarding this situation. What does he say? I ask then, has God rejected his people. What does he mean by that? He's asking, did God reject all of us? Did he, did he, I mean, this is St. Paul here, right? He writes about himself as an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He, he's memorized how to recite all these different things about himself for his people, his pride, his heritage. And he's asking, did God throw that all in the trash? Are all of us Hebrews here hosed? That's what St. Paul is asking. Now, for me, speaking to you now, I mean, as a Gentile, I'm like, <laughs> I'm in luck. I'm part of Israel. But for St. Paul, writing as a Jew, he's asking himself, does this mean curtains for us? And there are Jews reading this in the, the Roman church at this time who were probably asking the same question. The way they were used to it. In the Deuteronomic Covenant, if God rejected you, he was flatly rejecting you. That's it. He would send his people into exile. He had them sent into terrible, oppressive, uh, well, bad situations and circumstances under the Moabites, the Midianites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks. Lord knows, after the Greeks, the Romans. They hadn't been an independent country in about 300 years. For a while, for a while, they had about a hundred years where Judea was kind of an independent country after the Maccabean revolt, but that's not real independence by the, by the time St. Paul is writing here. So they're asking the question, is this it? Are we screwed? And St. Paul says, God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now, yes, for us Lutherans, we see foreknowing and elect, and we get a little scared. We go, wait, 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 wait. We don't know enough about that. That's too much of a mystery. St. Paul, what are you doing here? But St. Paul says, well, he has not rejected the people among the Jews that he foreknew. The people that he knew he would convert to the faith. The people that the Holy Spirit would reach and bring into the fold. So, St. Paul says he hasn't rejected all of us. So we can't say that he just re rejected all of St. Paul's people. 
But, he says, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel. Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now let's, let's hone in on that. St. Paul says that during his time, there is a remnant of Hebrew people, of St. Paul's people, who are believers, whom God has set aside to stay in Israel while the rest of them, the vast majority of the Jews, were broken right off. And he says this is God's doing. God preserved a remnant of uh, my people the same way he preserved a remnant of the Israelites who did not bow the knee to Baal. Now, before we Gentiles get a little bit proud, you know, there's some warnings there for us to not be lifted up in pride. And I think that's because eventually... St. Paul figured eventually the same thing would happen to us today. And it's no coincidence that he speaks of uh, the prophet Elijah referring to how the people have ran after the balls. And God saying there's 7,000 who have not worshipped Baal. Now who is Baal? What is Baal? Baal is a foreign Canaanite deity. But he's not your average what god of whatever he's not aries the god of war he's not venus the god of love he's not um quetzalcoatl the de or the decapitator god from the aztec religion and he's not thor god of thunder right or was it odin whatever baal is one of the most evil of the false gods whether or not there was a demon behind it, it's one of the most evil concepts. Because Baal was like a merchant god. He controlled the weather, he controlled the thunder and the rain and everything, but he was not seen as a weather god. He was seen as an agricultural god. In the land of Canaan, or Palestine, or Israel, name it what you will, and all the way out to Syrophoenicia, Baal was an economic god. And a fertility god. Now what does that remind us of? I mean, this is probably the most distinctly American of the false gods out there. Because in Canaan at that time, their main export, their main economy was agriculture. They planted food. They, there wasn't much to mine. There wasn't much precious metals out there. Um... It was noted in the scriptures that the Philistines had iron when most other people around them had copper when it came to their weapons, their chariots, things like that. And iron was really hard to come by. So the Philistines come over, you know, they, they come across the sea, they settle in Israel, and suddenly now they're bringing all these iron chariots with them, and that is a scary thing. So there's not much mineral stuff out in Israel. There's not much mining to go on for diamonds. There's not much that would make them rich in all of this. And it's a teeny tiny sliver of land, so it's not a military power. But Baal out there, 
being this god of agriculture meant that he was the god of money. He was the god of prosperity. And he, he and his, uh, his consort, Ashtoreth, she was the goddess of sex and everything like that. But Baal played a big role in that too. So you had money, good times, and sex. In other words, the main vehicles by which the, the evils of the world, our second enemy, you know, the world, the flesh, and the devil, typically our first enemy is our own flesh, the second enemy is the world, and then the third enemy behind those two is the devil. But Baal is the god of the world. Worldliness. Everything people run after and chase after. Money, good times, lots of food to eat, and sex. That's Baal. And it was everywhere in northern Israel. And here Elijah says, this is it. It's just me out here, God. And he, he wasn't meaning that nobody was worshiping God at all. There were plenty of people that were worshiping Baal and the true God of the Bible. Plenty of them. There was a church, but Elijah knew that it was corrupt. There was definitely a church that would tell you you could also worship Baal at the same time. And, and by all means, we all know that that's a false kind of worship. Jesus says you cannot obey two masters. You cannot worship God and mammon or money. And I'm pretty sure our Lord Jesus mentioned money there as for a reason. So here, Elijah is bringing this up knowing full well that King Ahab claimed to worship the true God in addition to Baal. And that reminds St. Paul of what's going on. He, his, his fellow Jews are not really worshiping the true God. So he brings up this thing with Elijah saying, listen, they think they're worshiping God, but what are they really worshiping? Well, the Talmud was in development, so they were clearly worshiping themselves. He knows that during this time, the merchant class was becoming a thing. So he knows that there was also a huge problem with worship of prestige, of money, and of other things. Essentially, ball worship continuing on. But 7,000 didn't worship ball. And this continues today. Now, I hope it's much more than 7,000 among all of Christendom right now, that does not also bow the knee to worldly morality, to the world's values, to the world's priorities of money, sex, power, good times, gluttony, any, any sin you can imagine. But it's everywhere, isn't it? Now for you and I then, where do we take our comfort? Where do we take our encouragement? It's in asking who you are. When you ask, who am I? You can ask yourself, do I want to sin? Do I struggle with that? Do I want Christ? Do I want salvation? Do I covet the forgiveness of my sins by his blood? Do I earnestly seek out God's favor and blessing over my life, relying on him and doing my best to do the good works which please him? Do I really take the word of God seriously? If you ask yourselves those questions and you find yourself saying, that, that, that's me, that's what I want, 
then congratulations, I'll tell you who you are. You are part of the remnant. You are part of the remnant that God has not abandoned, that he will never let go of. The church is the true Israel. The church is the Israel of God. That's not just bragging, by the way. Being God's chosen people, the Israel of God, also means, well, we being sinners. We're going to have a lot of the same exact problems as ancient Israel. Worldliness and false worship is just one of the current modern manifestations. There's been corruption in the church. There was corruption in ancient Israel. There's violence. There was violence in ancient Israel. Divisions, absolutely. People think denominations are like this new thing. <laughs> we think they're, denominations only started a thousand years ago with the Great Schism, and then it got like so much worse with the Protestant Reformation. Oh, no, 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 no. There were very much separate denominations in ancient Israel as well. At least three by the time Elijah was around. Because there was the... There was the correct denomination in ancient Judah. After the national divorce, you know, Israel splits into northern Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Here, Judah had the temple where the sacrifices were permitted. Judah even had the old tabernacle where sacrifices were permitted. Judah had the Levites, who were the only people, according to the law of Moses, who could conduct the sacrifices and were authorized to teach the law. So that's one denomination. But then you have northern Israel, with Jeroboam, son of Nebat's false altars, with the golden calves that he reintroduced. That's another denomination, because he claimed that he worshipped the true God as well. But he did it his way. He did it in his own special way. And then you had the, the synergists, or the people syncretizing with different faiths, to where now you have Baal worship and worship of the true God happening at the same time. That reminds us of quite a few people, doesn't it? And then you had the faithful remnant in northern Israel. The people trying their best to worship God rightly in northern Israel, cut off from Judah, cut off from doing things the way God instructed due to no fault of their own. I mean, God called Elijah to do what he did in northern Israel and nowhere else. So there were denominations back then. And there were, in each, in each time in Israel's history, there was always a faithful minority amidst this majority of people who seemed to care less about what God actually wanted. Sometimes the people were united in true worship, but the majority of times, nope, they were a rebellious people. And the church, God's Israel today, often does the same things. So we have all of our denominations, and with each one that actually does follow the scriptures and hold to them, you know, holding them to be inspired... There's some true Christians in there. But it is the remnant of people who are faithful that God looks at and says, I'm not going to abandon you. I didn't abandon the Jews in the New Testament who did believe in my son Jesus. Those are staying in Israel while the majority of the Jews are getting 
replaced by the Gentiles. And I didn't abandon the faithful believers in the Old Testament like Elijah and the 7,000 people who did not bend the knee to Baal. That remnant I preserved. And so, dear, dear believer, God says, I will preserve you too. He commands us to stay faithful, not just because he's commanding us for the sake of commanding us, but because in being his remnant today, we are the ones that he will preserve. The Episcopalian Church at one point had 11 million people in the United States. 11 million members. It was easily the biggest denomination in the United States. Where are they today? Not less than 500,000. At least when it comes to people who go to church monthly, it's got to be less than 500,000. They can claim a couple million, but come on, guys. They have shrank down to the point of nothingness. Elka, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which we all know they're not even actually Lutheran, but Elka, they also at one point had uh, 5 million members, and that's still on paper correct, but if you ever look at their internal documents, they believe that by 2040 they will cease to exist as a denomination in the United States. They're terrified. Every time these people rebel against God and God removes their lampstand and says, you're not mine anymore, their days are numbered. Their influence is numbered. Their future has a tiny little time limit on it. And going on this theme, because again, I believe this happens today. We're going to read this from the book of Revelation. If you have a Bible handy, please turn to it. It is the last book in Holy Scripture. And it is very, very interesting to read what our Lord Jesus says in there. From Revelation chapter 2, pretty easy to get here, let's start reading in the first verse. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But this I have against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Our Lord Jesus says, Hey, repent. You're a conservative church. You're doing really well. You're, you're doing all these good works here, and you are enduring all sorts of garbage for my sake, but you've forgotten your first love. Repent. Come back to me. By the way, that first love is Jesus. Come back to me. Or else I'm going to remove 
your lampstand. The status, the blessing, being his. He can take that away. Even in conservative denominations, Jesus here is, our Lord Jesus is not talking to some progressive apostate church. He's talking to a church that thoroughly hates heresy, that is happy to endure tribulation for God, but they, they forgot to love him. They forgot the whole point of all of this in the midst of their struggles. If he removes a lampstand, then that's it. They're not his anymore. He gives them up. St. Paul, he wrote Romans before Revelation, but we interpret scripture with scripture here. And what happened to those Jews who did not believe being broken off from Israel is the same thing as a lampstand being removed. It's the same exact thing. You're not mine. You're not my people anymore. I'm removing you from your place among my people. And you and I, as part of that remnant of God's people who have not bowed down to the world, or even if we did in our past, we're now faithful Christians and we don't want to do that anymore, we can look on and see God removing lampstand after lampstand after lampstand of all these fake churches out there, or churches that forget their first love, or churches that do the syncretism bit and start worshiping Baal. We can see them doing that, but we can take comfort in knowing that God is not doing that to us as individuals, to us as the small collective of people who truly worship the real God. Now, I can't tell you how many of us there are. By all means, I would love to start my own Lutheran Synod here with the, with the guarantee that, yes, our guys, the remnant out here, can, can come to this church in a safe environment where they know they will hear the true word of God, where they will receive law and gospel unmixed, unmingled by the world, not confused with one another. They're going to get the real thing in true, total fealty to the Lord. A road bump there, though, is that only God knows by his grace whom he has chosen to be in this remnant, whom he has supernaturally preserved here. So, this is encouragement almost in a, in a sense of it just being an individual. That you as an individual know that you are part of that remnant, but for the people that you know that show that kind of fruit in their lives, that you know in your heart of hearts that they are also dedicated to what the scripture truly says to us and what the witness about our Lord Jesus Christ really means. You and those people that you know are part of that remnant. And if even conservative denominations can fall and find their lampstand removed, well... We can do our best while staying in their churches as much as we can. But we have to get together. We have to do something to, to know each other. This is one of the reasons Lutheran Soldiers for Christ is a thing. And we're going to start looking at how to actually identify some of our guys. Because I've been hearing about some, some guys in churches having a tough time. But until then, guys, take courage knowing that if God says you're part of the remnant, he's not going to abandon you. He's not going to remove you 
while he's removing the lampstand of people around you. Stay with him. Take comfort in this, which Lord knows by his grace we will endure all this insanity around us, but with the confidence that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Amen and amen.